This is Recovering in Life, Episode 5, My Story. Welcome, this is Recovery in Life Podcast. I'm your host, Sebring Sands, and I'll take you through my journey of recovering from pornography addiction and help you understand common and most important recovery principles, as well as helping you live life to the fullest. Welcome, everyone, to another episode in Recovering Life. Can't believe it's five weeks already, five episodes. It's gone by pretty fast, and I'm glad you guys are here for another episode. Um, this week, I'm going to do something that I'm not necessarily wasn't wanting to do, but I don't know, I think deep down, just a little anxious to do, just because this is vulnerable. But I wanted to share it with you guys so that you guys can know me better and know my story of kind of how I got here and my story of recovery and just how it all started. And so you guys can relate better with me and hopefully it does it is relatable to you guys and maybe you guys have had similar situations or can relate to some of the things which is my goal in it so i like to start out with um kind of all started maybe seven years of age or eight years old i don't know exactly what i was doing at the time but i read myself the right way and liked it and kept doing it, and, you know, life was a little stressful then, um, growing up, I had some things with my dad, but also just having a lot of friends, and that kind of perpetuated it, and later I found out this word called masturbation, but I wasn't even sure if I was even doing that, I didn't know what masturbation was, and I just put it in the back of my mind, not really thinking about it. I kept going with it. And fast forward a few years, hormones start going and going to, to middle school and high school. And I recognize, oh, I am masturbating, but I didn't really think to change it or needed to change it or even to tell anyone. And at the same time, I didn't have any access to anything. No internet, no magazines, no anything. So I would try to get as many hits and as many, um, insp- as much inspiration for fantasizing as I could at the store, at some magazines that I could glance at, or just some scantily clad women in TV or any other circumstances. Trying to get as much out so that I can fantasize, so that I can continue to masturbate, because it was, you know, at a point it was harder to do it physically and mentally to get me excited and aroused enough to masturbate. And then came high school, about 16 years old, in Washington State, where I grew up, there's this cool program where you can go to college for two years. Um, a lot of people do some classes in college and mostly at high school, but I was able to do everything in college. So I was practically a college student for two years. I hardly went back to my high school just to make sure I was on track for graduation. And at that time, I had access to the internet for the first time. And it was exciting, but also a lot of temptation and a lot of triggering. And I was super curious. I think that was my first emotion 
when it came to it. I sought it out because I was so curious. I've been fantasizing all these things for years, but didn't really know how it went down. So I, one day I was just so obsessed about it. So I went to this secluded computer lab and just looked stuff up and I kind of opened the floodgates for me. And I kept doing that. Um, I kept finding the best places to, to act out, to look at pornography. I can't actually act out and masturbate in the lab. I would probably look out for a while and then go to the bathroom and, you know, take care of business. So I did that for a while. At one point, there was a friend that even walked up on me. I think you probably saw me watching porn, but I just hurry up and shut it down and didn't talk about it. And it was very embarrassing and kind of not kept me in shame but also one of those situations where it perpetuated my shame and like I mentioned last episode I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and it's you know I'm very religious and I wouldn't necessarily say it's a strict religion but we do have um, certain guidelines and principles that we live by I think when I do live them it does give me a lot of joy and happiness and fulfillment in my life. By that time, in that I was looking at porn and I knew I was I shouldn't be doing it, and they hammer it into us as youth, as young men, to not look at porn, to stay away from it, it's the plague, you know. And I just felt so bad if anyone knew that I was looking at porn. I don't know what I would do, and. At that point, I thought I would get kicked out of the church, and I did not want that to happen at all because I thought I was maybe going to hell if I did. And also, that's where all my friends were, and my family was in there. And it was my, not quite my whole life, but a lot of my social and connection, social interactions and connection, was in my church and in my religion. And then I could not lose that no matter what. So I kept it hidden, kept it hidden from everyone. And at the same time, I don't know how this kind of came to be, but maybe with my dad a little bit, but my brothers, my brother, my older brother and I, we were kind of put up there on the pedestal of the best, brightest kids in the church, the most righteous, the most religious, and, you know, participated the most in seminary and in classes, and I didn't want anyone to know that I was not those things. Like, I did try my best. I did learn a lot and I did deeply care about my religion, but I was, I had the second life, this secret life that no one knew about. And I could not let anyone know about me because I did feel like I would be rejected and would be shamed and judged. And I just didn't want to deal with that. So I kept it hidden. And then when it came high the end of high school, I didn't have access to the internet anymore, but my dad did get internet in his computer, so I would sneak in sometimes once a week, once every other week to look at porn, and I'd erase the history. I don't know if he even caught me doing that. He never approached me about it or anything, and I never said anything to him as well, and this is right before I was to serve a mission, and in my church, um, we are strongly encouraged to serve a two-year service mission outside 
could be outside the country. I served in Brazil, but were assigned to places in the United States or outside of the United States for two years and teaching people about Jesus Christ and about our church and serving others. And I really wanted to do this. I deeply, I deeply believed in this, but also I did feel pressure, obviously, um, to not let my parents down, my family down, my family name down. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way as well. You don't want to let down the family name um, by not going on a mission. And if you didn't for some reason or you like, you were planning on it, but you had to wait, you'd get uncomfortable questions about, oh, why are you waiting? And, oh, aren't you not worthy? And I did not want to deal with that as well. I couldn't deal with that at that time. So I kept it hidden and kept going. And then right before I was supposed to enter the temple in, in my church, it's a very sacred and important thing. Um, and it's a lot of commitment doing that as well. And I think I white knuckled probably a month or two before that, just knowing like, okay, I'm definitely going to hell and getting kicked out of the church. If I went to the temple and I, I told the bishop about you know, looking at pornography, I was sure going to hell. So I didn't want to do that. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, white knuckling does not work. And it didn't. I think I started acting out a month or two after I entered the temple. And that was deeply shameful too. But I just kept going because I didn't really know what to do at that point. I felt like I had no where to go with talking to the bishop. And at that point, I think we... We st I still had my old bishop at the time, but I talked to him earlier a few years ago about masturbation, but he didn't really talk about or pursue it or anything. And I didn't really mention it any anything either. And it was before I started looking at pornography. So I thought, oh, so I just told him about that. I don't have to tell him about these other things. And I just kept, kept going. And so I went on my mission and I was fine for a year and it felt great. Um, I was discouraged and a little depressed, just I think the culture and my mindset about things. And towards the end of my mission, started masturbating again a couple times. I had a, had a companion. We go in with a companion, a partner to help you out, um, to make, help you be safe, but also help teach and support you and help with the workload. And he was he was suffering too from pornography. I don't know if it's necessarily pornography, but masturbation is deeply um, worried about that. And he confided in me, and we were pretty good friends and connected with me, but I cannot tell him about my deal. And looking back now, I probably should have. <laughs> I really want to go back to say, hey, it's okay, I was suffering from the same thing. I'm sure a lot of the missionaries were too. I told my mission president, because I, at one point I felt like I needed to tell him. I was just, I just felt very strongly I needed to tell him I did tell him I struggled with pornography before my mission and I don't know he's sympathetic he was dealing with his own things at the time he was he's had this con this deteriorating condition they had to go home early but I told him and he was reassuring but I don't know I felt like I was okay from then on but I didn't really change that much and of course, when I got back from my mission, the first month was fine. I was still, you know, still not really in the habit of 
I didn't have the internet, didn't have access, but when I got started going on my own, I went down to Logan, Utah, where I live now, for school, for the summer, just looking for a job, and I got into it again very quickly and easily, and of course the shame comes back, because now I'm a return missionary, and and I'm one of those guys that I've heard people like, oh, he reverted back to pornography in his old ways, and you know, you hear that talk from one of the leaders of the church saying that you cannot return to your old ways. And I just felt a lot of shame about that, but I didn't know what to do. At the, I think I told my bishop later on about it, maybe almost a year later, him kind of suggesting a couple things. Dated a couple girls, but never have told them anything as well. And it just kept going and going, and I just didn't know what to do at that point. There were times of sobriety, I think I was just white knuckling or just busy with life, but school is stressful, uh, relationships are stressful. I wanted to go on dates, but I was too nervous to, and I've been rejected in the past, so that perpetuated it as well. And I was just kind of stuck. And then came along my wife, and we started dating. This is a little less than a year, almost about a year since I returned from my mission, and I just hit out with her and found love very quickly. And, you know, by certain standards, we, it was quick. <laughs> I think looking back now, we both had, we're still overcoming some of the codependency that we both had. And I think perpetuated the quickness of it and kind of centering our universes around each other. And, and she did kind of ask if I had a problem I think I mentioned I did masturbate but I didn't you know go further didn't bring it back up again I thought she'd leave me and I could not handle that I thought my world would end if I would not marry this this girl because I loved her so much and I kept going um, we were engaged a couple months after we started dating and then we had a five month um, time period before between engagement and marriage and I was determined to quit this habit of pornography and, and masturbation because at that point for me I thought it was just a habit I could easily break just like biting my nails which disclaimer I still bite my nails I still have that it that bad habit I'm working on but I thought I could easily kick it, and I was white-knuckling, I wouldn't succeed, and then I think a month or two before we were married, I white-knuckled it, I was like, okay, at least I could do that, and I'll start off the marriage strong, and I think this is a false belief that a lot of men have, is when I start having sex with her, then I wouldn't need to masturbate, I wouldn't need to look at porn, because my sexual desires will be fulfilled, and of course, that does not work it's because i think for me the real reason and maybe for many people sex does not cure it because we're it's a completely different experience than pornography pornography is super fake compared to real sex um it is contrived it's scripted it's it's not even it's just it's not love making like real love making is it's just two people going at it with no just they're probably not even feeling good when they're doing it to be honest in in porn 
but it's just this completely physical thing with no emotion, no connection. But real sex is those things. Obviously, in my deep in my addiction, I wasn't connecting like my wife needed to be connected, and what I needed the connection to be. But it's a completely different thing, and of course, it's not going to satisfy those desires and and those attractions that we've been wiring our brain to do for years and expecting to see for years and it's not going to satisfy it and it did not so I kept going um I kept relapsing kept acting out I think a week or two I would do that I think at one point before I told my wife about my addiction I thought maybe I should go a support group but at that point I was super scared to go to support group because then everyone would know more people would know. I don't think anyone knew at that point. So someone would know what if I knew someone, which actually I knew a couple people from my singles ward that were in a 12 step group with me later on, which was really cool. But anyway, um, I don't know how I could deal with that. So I thought about that. Like, well, I'll give a thought a few months, a few more months go by and I would kind of think about it but not doing it because then I couldn't tell my wife okay I'm going to some place but I can't tell you where I'm going which is super suspicious and she was pregnant at the time and so we didn't have a child and we didn't have a car so I couldn't even get to there very easily and just kept going kept kind of getting worse at school just kept giving into belief of my worth being my grade at the end of the day and that just kept me kept me down and relapsed and acting out was the only way to cope with that and marriage was you know marriage is a little stressful but I was shamed so much because I felt like everything bad about our marriage was because of me and probably a lot of it was because of me because the connection lacking on the connection and things like that was a lot of my a lot of the times because I was not in a good place not in a healthy place to connect with my wife and that kept kept it going for a while and then we went to New York for the summer and that was probably the most stressful part of my life at that point because even my mission I was more stressed for my mission because I was in this new place I was working 12 plus hours a day I wasn't getting home until two or three o'clock in the morning driving home an hour and I got pulled over for driving for sleeping at the wheel and Luckily, he was just concerned. There's no cars on the road, and it was just concerned for me. And luckily, I was lived when he pulled me over just a couple minutes away. But it was a super stressful time, and I the only way I coped with it was acting out. And my wife, I think this is the time too where my wife and my daughter um, went away for two weeks. That was, I think. We have never been apart since then, and me being so codependent, I didn't know how to handle that, and it was stressful. Luckily, they came back a few days earlier than they planned, but I was so alone and dreading it and acting out and numbing with anything I could because it was so hard, and I just couldn't handle life at that point. And then we came home from that, and that was another stressful thing. We didn't have a, I didn't have a job when I came back, which I thought I did. So I had to get a new job. I had to change trajectories of where I was going. We had to live with my parent, my wife's 
aunt for a month so we can until we can move into our apartment it was just so crazy but I don't know what was prompted me to tell my wife but I think I was so overcome by my needing to tell my wife and also in the past she's mentioned that I don't know what I would do if if you had a pornography addiction or my husband had a pornography addiction a couple times and I was thinking she's gonna divorce me if I tell her so I think at a couple points I was I accepted the fact that I will take this to the grave and maybe that's with a lot of people I'm gonna take this secret to the grave but I'm glad I didn't I told her my D-Day was the first weekend of October. I'm during what we call it in my church general conference where we talk, where we listen to leaders of our church giving uh, messages. And I really enjoy it. It's really good. And I felt this overwhelming, strong feeling to tell her. And I, I broke down. I told her she was sleeping at the time. She probably wasn't happy being woken up. And I told her I was bawling and she was bawling. She didn't know what to do. I know what to do. I think a couple weeks later, we went to a 12 step, started going there and not even knowing what to expect. Oh, I did that for a while, but I'd relapse again. And I wouldn't tell her because she's going to divorce me if I relapse again, because I would white knuckle and relapse. Went tell her for months. And then, I think she would talk to a friend, I talked to a friend that she even didn't know had her husband had a pornography addiction. It turned out that he did. And then she would come home and ask, did you relapse? Because I think that friend would tell her, like, yeah, my my husband would relapse, but never tell me. So I had to really dig it out of him. And sure enough, that was my issue as well. I would never tell Stephanie if I relapsed because she would divorce me and she would not love me and I cannot handle that. I wouldn't handle that. I would not be honest with her. I would just hide it. And that would create more problems. And I'd go for a little bit. I gave my phone up for, at one point. And also at, during that time I was working in graveyards. And that was not helping at all. I could just not cope with. And it was, school was stressful. So I had to relax. I had to act out to survive. And it just was unmanageable. I was addicted. I think I was still in denial that point of so compulsively searching it out and fantasizing to cope with just getting through the day and with school she was starting to go to, um, to hair school I was with my daughter that was stressful it was it was a bad time looking back at it but then like I mentioned earlier my wife I think this was this is after um in the fall of 2017 my wife, I, she just, I told her after coming home from a 12 step group that I relapsed again. And she told me like, what are you going to do different? I said, I don't know. I wasn't connecting with anyone at that point. I didn't know what a connection call was. So I wasn't doing it. And I reached out to my, my fam my family. I never ha have told them my brother, my dad, and they were, you know, somewhat helpful, but it was just good getting it out and connecting. And I was connecting with other, another person, and we just talked about he he was recovering as well from a pornography. Well, I wasn't recovering, but he was recovering from, from pornography addiction and far along in that and successful. I was talking with him and just finding a lot of comfort and um, energy and motivation to really recover 
And then that's where I found the podcast that portrayed the addicted, the expert, which really turned around my life and really got me into recovery because that sobriety versus recovery really threw me for a loop. Like I mentioned in that episode, I think it's episode two. Um, and I realized I'm just white knuckling and I can't do that. It's not sustainable. So I need to do something different. So I started combining and started not realizing at the moment, just being mindful about uh, my emotions and what they are and finding ways to cope with them. And that's how I kind of started. And I went to therapy, um, a therapy place in Logan um, from a friend that he he went there a couple years in the past and really recommended it. So he went there, checked it out, really enjoyed it and kind of first feet first into recovery. And it's been amazing ever since and really has changed my life. I've been going to that therapy group for now, almost about well over a year now. And it's been great. It's really the first time I've been able to be in a group of guys and learn how to be vulnerable and tell my story, the things that I'm worrying about, my struggles, my problems, you know, life in general. And it's also an amazing place to process um, things I'm feeling to help me be mindful of my emotions and my needs and to help lift me up especially when my negative self-talk is overrunning my my thoughts and feelings and it's hard to do really anything and kind of help in that group helps break you free of that mindset and get you on the progress and the path you want to take which I think is the power of of therapy and the power of just being in a group of men all willing to be there, support each other, be vulnerable, and to help lift everyone up. And that has been a really good experience. And a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of my friends are in that group. And I really have created really strong bonds because of that vulnerability, because of that trust you have with other people to be able to empathize and hold things that are very personal and very scary to share because you don't you're not sure how people will react or reject you or things like that it is a a safe place for people i hate the word use safe space or anything like that because it's been co-opted but it is a safe place for you to share your feelings and be validated in those and to be able to process any sorts of feelings and situations and things like that in in a very supportive environment. And this has kind of been what my recovery has been like, and it's been really wonderful. And I probably couldn't have done it without um, a group of guys. And it's very important to be able to connect with um, guys, especially as a male, I connect with guys, females connect with females. It's very important because you do get that validation because you're going through the same things as other people in the same situation sometimes. 
obviously things are different. People have different lives, different people, interests, and things like that. But just having those similar circumstances and also experiences in the past is a very comforting and encouraging thing as well. And with recovery too, in the past, I've never really had friends. Um, I just neglected any friendships. I had a couple while I was single before I was married, but wasn't really anything too strong. I never really kept up with that. Because when I first got married, I thought, you know, my life's work, school, and my family, and that's it. And obviously that wasn't working either because I was in the midst of this crazy, you know, addiction. And that was how I coped with everything. That was my friend, as you could say, that connection that I needed, but obviously not doing it in a healthy way. But after recovery and starting to reach out, able to been able to cultivate friendships. And that's part of my self-care is to be able to hang out and to do things with friends that I've never done before. And I don't have, I overcome the shame of potentially leaving my, my wife or my daughter and spending some time with a friend because I do need that connection. And that goes for her as well as she needs that connection as well. Because there's only so much connection that like we can have as being partners and spouses and things like that. We also need that outside connection a little bit with friends. Because those are very strong um, relationships that cultivate a very strong sense of, of um, friendship. And also it's enjoyable and we need that and I need that. And I didn't realize that until recovery. So that's kind of been a plus I've been able to let myself enjoy life more and with friends. Obviously it's nothing crazy. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna never be home to spend time with friends. Obviously it's in moderation as well as recovery as well. In group, you know, I'm not gonna spend all my time, my free time in therapy. Obviously that would be really expensive, but but it's just not necessary because you know, I'm not in not doing it in excess and doing the things that that time that really helps. Yeah, it's just been a wonderful experience and I've I have come a long ways. Um I won't say I'm anyone special, but this is my story. Um I'm sure some could relate to some things. Um and I hope me sharing this with everyone will help everyone kind of get to know me a little bit better. Um, that was the the kind of the goal of me sharing this and to uh, kind of build trust with with you guys, the audience, so that you do see me as a human being. Obviously, I'm not perfect and I'm not professional at this, I'm just sharing my experiences. Um, but it always is nice to hear where people come from and how you can relate. And maybe it's more rela- relatable than other people. That's why I like about... Um, the Betray the Addicted, the Expert. Obviously, I can't relate with um, Ashlyn, the person that has that had betrayal trauma, but her husband, Kobe, I relate with a lot in some of the things. Obviously, some of the things are way different. 
Um, also, the same thing with Matt Dopschutz on Porn Free Radio podcasts. I connect with him on some things because I can really relate to those same feelings, those same um, behaviors that that we that he did in the past that he shared about. And it's it's really nice to know that I'm not alone in doing this, and I don't have to feel shame about it because every other person is doing similar things and overcoming them and not letting that define them as a person and moving on with life and enjoying life. And that is very exciting. Well, I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you guys next week.